I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. How many people here either have been, have been or are smokers or nicotine consumers? Oh, wow. <laughs> 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 yeah. who, who isn't and never has been? You are yeah. weird. See? You are like super weird. You're like it's, super weird people. It's the, young, the younger people. The younger people. Yeah, yeah. Less. They're innocent of this. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's kind of interesting. And we, we, I mean, it seems to me, I mean, what I love about Gregor's essay, and I, I wrote an introduction for it that was in The Guardian a couple of weeks ago as well, and that what I loved about it was it was like a, a you know, um, people don't really talk about nicotine in the way that I want to talk about it. But Gregor's essay does talk about it in that way. And I think that there's a kind of, the, the discourse about nicotine is very, very strange and polarised in our culture. And, it, and, it, and it, So it, in a sense, we're going to use nicotine as a prism to discuss other things, whether it be, uh, you know, the, the nature of writing, the creative act, uh, drugs in general, cultural customs, we're going to kind of, so it's not just going to be like, thanks, there's going to be more to it than that. Uh, and I'm hoping that people are going to kind of contribute their own experience, their own attitudes, their own feelings, their own experience. Uh, I, I like to view this as not, not a conventional literary event, but more of a kind of extended group therapy session <laughs> on, on, on our issues, our issues. <laughs> which are manifold. But over to you, Gregor, for, for a, a reading from, from the text. Okay. Um, thank you all for coming. Thank you for this, uh, uh, for, for, for being here well. It's wonderful um, to have, uh, have as an interlocutor such a committed smoker. I know you don't like that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that uh, word. Uh, I'm just going to read a short uh, passage from the beginning of the book, uh, just so you get a f- get a feel for it. Um, and uh, I already apologize for stumbling through this English text. It's not I've, n- I've never read this in public because it's not my. Uh, it's the trans- translator's uh, uh, text. I've smoked well over a hundred thousand cigarettes in my life. 
and each one of those cigarettes meant something to me. I even enjoyed a few of them. I've smoked okay, great, and terrible cigarettes. I've smoked dry and moist, aromatic and almost sweet cigarettes. I've smoked hastily and, I've, and other times slowly and with pleasure. I've scrounged, stolen, and smuggled cigarettes. I've obtained them by devious means and I've begged for them. I once paid $13 for a pack at a New York airport. This is now the normal price. <laughs> <laughs> But when I wrote this, it was $5 a pack, I think. I've thrown out half-full packs only to fish them back out of the rubbish to render them useless once and for all under the tap. I've smoked cold cigarette butts, cigars, cigarillos, beedies, cretex, spliffs, and straw. I've missed flights because of cigarettes and burned holes in trousers and car seats. I've singed my eyelashes and eyebrows, fallen asleep while smoking, and dreamt of cigarettes, of relapses and flames and bitter withdrawal. I've smoked in over 45 degree heat and in minus 20, 25 cold, in libraries and seminar rooms, on ships and mountaintops, on the steps of Aztec pyramids, furtively in an old observatory, in basements and barns and beds and swimming pools, on mat air mattresses and in thin-hulled rubber dinghies on the prime meridian in Greenwich and the 180th meridian in Fiji. I've smoked because I was full, and I've smoked because I was hungry. I've smoked because I was glad, and I've smoked because I was depressed. I've smoked out of loneliness and out of friendship, out of fear and out of exuberance. Every cigarette that I've ever smoked served a purpose. They were a signal, medication, a stimulant, or a sedative, they were a plaything, an accessory, a fetish object, something to help pass the time, a memory aid, communication tool, or an object of meditation. Sometimes they were all of those things at once. I no longer smoke, but there are still moments when I can think of nothing but cigarettes. This is one of those moments. I really shouldn't be writing this book. It's much too risky. But I won't be deterred. I will write about it all without, my mis without mystifying or demonizing it. I regret nothing. Every cigarette I've ever smoked was a good cigarette. <laughs> there are people I'd really like to smoke a cigarette with. Friends I haven't seen for a long time. Artists I admire. Will. <laughs> that this won't come to pass isn't solely down to me and my resolution. Most of them don't smoke anymore. Some of them are dead. I, I, I would have liked to have smoked with my grandfather, whose huge calloused hands always made the cigarette look so thin and fragile. He died too soon. I'm convinced that he died because his cigarettes were taken away from him when he was admitted to hospital after a fall, even if he only smoked five or ten a day for 60 years. I often dreamt of smoking in an art museum. I imagined how I would sit in one of those smooth, solid wood benches already warmed by the obliquely angled afternoon sun in front of a quickly painted and austere group portrait by Franz Hals, for instance, and light up a finas, a filterless oriental cigarette that sadly vanished from the market a few years ago. I have no doubt that this would be a moment of absolute clarity, perhaps my greatest moment of happiness. This will never happen. I no longer smoke but I can write about it. 
And as I circle the subject of my addiction, a central theme in my life through writing, I might as well ask myself a few questions. How did I, come, how did I become a smoker? What was it that I needed? Did the countless cigarettes I smoked throughout the course of my life satisfy this need? How did I deal with my addiction alongside the occasional fear of not being able to control it? Was I not afraid of the risks? There is no need for me to set out my reasons for quitting. Everyone knows the arguments, the social and the medical. Smoking is a compulsive behavior. He who conquers, conquers his urges gains his freedom. I failed often enough to know that I'm right at the beginning. I've decided that this time I write my way out of my addiction by telling its story. I'm devoting my undivided attention to a structure that governed nearly my entire life and that at times I actually mistook for being life. I took many of my patterns of behavior, automatisms and thought processes for granted. I never even noticed them. It's only now in retrospect that I can engage with them and begin to make sense of them. Something staggering occurs to me. I've smoked over, well over 100,000 cigarettes and with the best of intentions cannot say whether the paper crackles when you light one like in the old cinema adverts. I've never noticed, not once. Thank you. I've noticed that when I wrote this, uh, that you know, I've smoked well over 100,000 cigarettes in my life. That's actually not very much. But, but at, the to- at, the time, at the time I wrote this, I just thought, thought it sounded good, and it sounded like a lot of cigarettes. But if you, if you, if you calculate it, it's more like a half a million. And, uh, and, and so, I mean, I... I don't need to compete, you know, it's, it's okay if it's just 100,000, but it has occurred to me that this is actually yeah. not very much. You've probably smoked much, much, much more than that. I, I don't know. <laughs> I do know that the doctor I saw the other day said, uh, told me how to calculate smoking years. Yeah. And I had 41. Huh. So, you know. How do you he, calculate he, he that? He burst out laughing when I told him I had 41 yeah. <laughs> smoking years because... I don't think you'd ever met anybody with that. Just on the final point of information, whether they crackle yeah. or not when you light them, it's a difficult proposition, isn't it? I mean, one of the things, I was in an editing suite working where they were editing a, a film, a big new digital mm-hmm. suite, and they were doing the, the Foley, the, which is the, the name for you know, redubbing the sound of mm-hmm. a film. And the thing that they were doing was lighting a cigarette, and they massively foleyed it. It uh-huh. sounded, and when you listen, if you listen to new films or TV when they light a cigarette, you can really go, <laughs> you know. So yeah, it's yeah, now yeah. impossible to tell what the reality is because yeah. the simulacrum has come to dominate That's our right. perception. But what I wanted to ask you, Gregor, first was nicotine, not cigarettes. You do focus on the drug, and you do very firmly set out a case for the drug being powerfully psychoactive. Mm-hmm. And that's not a popular position, is it? I mean, a lot of the kind of thrust of the anti-smoking drive or the move away in our culture from use of tobacco has been to 
deny its psychoactive properties, hasn't it? And I wondered mm-hmm. if you could say mm-hmm. something about that, about mm-hmm. your view of it as a psychoactive yeah. and what you think it does as a psychoactive and what you think is involved in this idea that mm-hmm. it's... What if it's not psychoactive? Then, then what is it that, that they're trying to say that it is, and why are they trying to say that? Huh. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. I I I think um, uh, I've I've always been convinced uh, that it's a it's a chemical thing that's happening in my brain, and uh, it's very material. Uh, it's 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 this particular uh, drug that's uh, that's given me a lot of pleasure and. Uh, uh, help me with my creativity. I mean, there's no question that it, it helps you to, you know, get the juices flowing and things mm. start uh, start working. And I've always experienced that as a very positive uh, thing. And 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 the nicotine itself is is not uh, uh, not not so dangerous. It's just uh, it's a stimulant and it it does wonderful things <laughs> to your brain. Um, and so I think the people who've uh, been wanting to sort of vilify it, they, they mm. focus on the other, uh, the other stuff. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the fact that uh, when you smoke, uh, it's not just you enjoying the pleasure, but uh, the whole room is, mm. is, uh, uh, is, is, is part of it uh, necessarily. And, uh, and uh, there are all these other these additives in cigarettes. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a sort of attack that the Germans have, have taken, mm. uh, listing uh, the hundreds of different additives, uh, chemicals uh, that, 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 that are... Um, um, uh, that, that, that are added to, to uh, industrial cigarettes. And, uh, and in fact, this, uh, this, there, there are a couple of brands now that are sort of uh, organic, uh, bio cigaretten. And, and they're American Spirit. Yes, American Spirit, uh, which are they're very good, good cigarettes. And, uh, um, I've got to tell my American Spirit story at this point, because okay. we are here to talk. So when American Spirit were launched, I was writing for The Times, and I was doing a column where I wrote about anything. I write about anything. And so they used to send me from the desk at the Times, they'd send me flyers for all sorts of new stuff. This stuff came through about this new cigarette. And I thought, I know, I'll write a column about cigarettes. I mean, this was like 20 years ago, but already the idea of writing a newspaper column about cigarettes was an anathema. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought, it's so, you know, I would never promote a product as a cheesy thing to do, but cigarettes, it's like promoting heroin. Yeah. You know, so I, I went out to lunch with this guy called uh, Robin Summers, who'd started Natural American Spirit. He's Californian, of course. Looked super fit. He looked like you, Gregor. <laughs> Boyish. <laughs> super fit. About halfway through lunch, we talked about this and that. I said, do you smoke, Robin? He said, no. I'm a jogger. <laughs> he started the yeah. cigarette company. Mm-hmm. He never smoked yeah. at all. And... Anyway, the lunch went well. I wrote the little column. And every week for two years, he sent me a carton of cigarettes mm. of natural America. <laughs> if you came round to my house in the late 90s, you didn't get offered a cigarette, not even a pack of cigarettes. You got offered a carton. <laughs> there was, you know, and it was just this ridiculous cigarette largesse. Wow. Yes. Uh, of course, I went off them. I mean, <laughs> Anyway, back to the record. <laughs> well, uh, the, uh, uh, one uh, chapter in my book is about my great aunt, mm. Anna, who used to work in a cigarette factory. And uh, she, she, she was the employee representative of Brinkmann in Bremen. It's a large, a big company. And uh, she, she would get, even, even when she was retired, she would get two cartons a, a month as part of her... Retirement? 
salary pension, or yeah. pension, yeah, yeah. And then she died, and they asked me if I wanted to inherit uh, this. Well, it this, could be this right. Yes, it was inheritable. And I took them for a while, and then, but I didn't like them. They were a lot extra, which is yeah. a, a terrible brand. They're, they're really nasty. And uh, so, so. But I you didn't think of handing it on to somebody else, or just, <laughs> or just stockpiling them and selling them. We were talking about karma earlier, yeah, so yeah. no, I know this you is bad. That that's bad, bad karma. karma. That's definitely bad karma. Yeah. So your your point to get back to the kind of psychoactive effects of nicotine. Yeah. I think of, uh, you know, in vast quantities, when you, you think about, you know, um, Amerindian shaman uh, who are using vast amounts of nicotine, it's a very, very powerful psychotropic drug, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But it seems to be that we as a culture have adapted for a certain kind of low dose mm-hmm. regimen where it's both a kind of central nervous system suppressant because of increasing the levels of carbon dioxide in the bloodstream and a stimulant, a central nervous yeah, stimulant yeah. at the same time. And as I was saying in my introduction, it's the kind of purple heart, really. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah, been yeah. a barbitone in that yeah. way. Which is perfect for uh, for writing, working, because you want uh, the stimulation, but but if you overstimulate, mm. uh, then you 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 want to run out and do something else uh, with your life and not sit there and write, and and so it's the perfect balance. Uh, that's I think I think it's actually done great things to 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 sort of contemporary culture or twentieth century culture. Actually, I, I think much much of it made from. Uh, Muzia to Bob Dylan to mm. whoever uh, wouldn't have happened uh, without uh, all those cigarettes. I mean, it's a strong statement. You, 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 yeah. The major cultural movements yeah. of the 20th century yes. is powered by. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really think so. There's this, uh, uh, this, this movie. I, I forgot the name of the movie about the young Bob Dylan uh, touring in here in, Eng- oh, yes, in England. Yes, yes, yes. D.W. Pennebaker. Uh, yeah, yeah, back. yeah, yeah. And. And all he does is smoke. Yeah, it's he's amazing. He's also doing a hell of a lot of amphetamine. Yeah, I mean, you okay, got a maybe. They do go together like a horse and a carriage. I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know? No, I wouldn't know. You've never taken amphetamine? No, I never have. In not, a way, you've not never willing smoked me. till you've taken amphetamine. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're on a really lengthy amphetamine journey, I, mean, I once surfaced from one and realized that I'd smoked a hundred cigarettes during the night. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you really... In fact, I, I did stay up around the hundred mark for huh. about three or four months, which is... And that's the point at which... And I wasn't taking any other drugs at the time when I really realized how uh, psychotropic nicotine mm-hmm. could be. Mm-hmm. But you make an even yeah. more powerful statement than that in your essay. You assert, sir, that you never would have become a writer. In a way, in a way, yeah. Nicotine. Yes, yes. Defend that position. Oh, because there's this key moment you describe uh, yeah. uh, of you kind of becoming self-actualized. It's very That's interesting right. in relation to nicotine. Yes, and uh, and and, and um, um, I was six years old at the time. <laughs> I smoked my first cigarette when I was six, and uh, and the way I remember it is that they, I actually have a very 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 acute uh, memory of that scene. And and the word scene is operative here because uh, all my memories, childhood memories before that, were just images, mm. s- like like photographs, Im- still images, and no voice and nothing. And 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 this scene of my smoking my very first cigarette 
is is like a, a mini film in my in my uh, memory and and I put two and two together and I think what's what happened is is that it's some something uh, uh, you know, I I became uh, a storyteller that way. It was my very first story. Is the story that I'm actually writing in in the book. It's a it's it's my mother, uh, uh, who uh, where we, I think you do this too at, at New Year's. You light uh, you 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 light uh, these, these uh, fireworks, rockets, right? And um, uh, my mother would give me a cigarette to light the rockets. And uh, uh, and and I, I I tried and I was little and I wasn't I don't know I I didn't do a very good job at it and and my mother said well you know you have to drag you have to you smoke uh, otherwise it it the cigarette goes out and and you can't do it and I started smoking that way and and then uh, the, the 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 first couple of years uh, I sort of. Uh, uh, you know, New Year's would come come around. It would be December, and I'd start thinking about the fireworks and all the excitement. And then, after two years or so, I started thinking about the cigarettes first. <laughs> and I, this was the moment I would get another cigarette. And uh, so, so this very my very first memory of, of you know where where actually there's a a, a full a scene developing in my mm. in my in my mind. And uh, I've always I've always smoked uh, when I wrote or I've always written when I smoked and uh, 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 and now I don't smoke anymore and uh, I, I write less <laughs> and uh, uh, so so I, I do I do think those two things uh, fit together for me I mean I don't want to drill down into this too much but I'm fascinated by this idea of the memories prior to the cigarette being like still images and the memories after the cigarette being as it were full motion yeah film yeah uh, and you may be aware of research in neuroscience that indicates that perception, visual perception, is a series of still images. You know what your yeah, yeah. what your your consciousness does. I remember you talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in a way, yeah. you know what what the Cartesian thinking eye is is that part of the consciousness that is the creator of narrative. So yeah, it's yeah. almost like you yeah. were actualized as a person perceptually yeah. by the cigarette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing when you write about this relationship between cigarettes and writing that I think a lot about I think about is the periodicity of the cigarette. The fact mm-hmm. that the cigarette mm-hmm. has a, a determined uh, uh, duration that creates a series of linked episodes. Mm-hmm. So I think it continually uh, drives the individual to contemplate the relationship without being too fancy between the episodic and the diachronic. You know, right. is yeah. is experience a continuous and undifferentiated thing, or is it a series of discrete moments? Yeah, yeah. And the fact of smoking somehow brings that into much sharper focus, mm-hmm. and you can because it provides you with this little yardstick of time that you're holding up to the undifferentiated world. Right, then it becomes very easy to understand why it's so useful for writing. Because what is writing but a series of judgments about when something constitutes an episode or when it needs to elide Mm -hmm. into something bigger? Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you're, by smoking, you're kind of putting on a kind of writing prosthesis in some way, Mm -hmm. a kind of psychic prosthesis. Uh Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. Good, right, that's right. (laughs) Okay, next. I think it's interesting in 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 
on you know looking looking at uh, the story that you're telling mm. what what you're what you're writing especially if you're writing about yourself uh, uh this this the continuity also the biographical continuity of course you know who am i i am a smoker one one aspect of that is that i look at all the different uh, uh, stages in my life and i there's one thing that they all have in common it's the cigarette and uh, on and then there's also the structure of the text which is paragraph by paragraph and mm. each paragraph takes about 25 minutes to draft mm. and that's exactly the time you for the next for one. the next cigarette and i still have that sort of even though i've, I've quit smoking five years ago i still uh, uh, have that sort of 25 minute rhythm in my thinking writing it's still there and then i do something else i get up for uh, drink, drink tea or something like that. But you always seamlessly integrated it with the act of writing. So when you mm -hmm. were sitting down to write, you'd have your writing equipment and your paper, whatever, yeah. you, however you were writing, and you'd have your cigarette. Right, yeah. Of up. course I struggled like everyone, and there were periods when I... I didn't smoke or I smoked cigars or did other stuff to, to somehow create that same mm. same, same uh, excitement. But uh, uh, essentially, yeah, that's, that's how it was, yeah. Tell me a bit, because I think it's interesting for us here in London, a bit about the kind of German smoking culture when you were growing up mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. What, what was it like? Because... It was very different, I think, in some ways to Britain. And I always remember, I think I, I put it in that, that introduction I wrote, being in, doing an event at the old literature house at Wannsee yeah. outside Berlin with this guy who just smoked right yeah, through yeah, yeah. blowing smoke in my face. And I'd given up. And afterwards, rather, I wanted to beat his head out on the floor yeah. and suck his brain. But rather than do that, yeah, yeah. I said, look, why? You know, he was overweight. He was tossing back white wine at the same time. I said, I said, yeah. frankly, old boy, you're in a hell of a state. You know, why are you <laughs> carrying on like this? And he said, every morning I get up and I feel dreadful. And I, 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 I can see, he was brutally honest about it. He said, I am fat. I drink too much, smoke too much. Every morning I get up and I think, maybe I should moderate my habits. And then I remember my grandfather at Stalingrad. And I think of the astonishing deprivation he must have gone through before being killed by the Russians. And then I light a cigarette. But I think he was, he also mentioned... I think I, I know this guy. Yeah. yeah. Do you? You probably so. do. I think so. I think it's a be, yeah. 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 Um, uh, but he, I think he was also evoking a particular thing in German culture in relation to the Hitler time, that Hitler was a very anti-smoker. Right. And there was a sense in the war that, that not only had this fucker destroyed the country and led millions of Germans to their deaths, as well as killing a lot of other people, but he'd stopped us smoking, yeah. the bastard. And when yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, Hitler was gone, everybody just lit up. Is yeah, that yeah, true? Yeah. I, I don't know if, if that's really true, because, I mean, the, the, the cigarettes came into the country after the war, from the Americans, yeah. the Americans brought the cigarettes and they distributed the Chesterfields, and uh, and and a lot of people thought that was a great thing. But uh, but but Germans were more interested in sausage than in uh, in cigarettes. <laughs> there was this time in the fifties when 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 you know your your sort of uh, uh, wealth or your well doing your 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 life uh, you know quality of life was basically me measured by sausage. how many sausages you could get. Uh, and so people, people had these huge 
dinners. And uh, I remember my grandmother, uh, she, was, she was a great cook. And, uh, but then uh, she, she always cooked uh, in, a, in a way um, um, uh, with the limitation of you know, not having all that much uh, material to yeah. cook with. And when that limitation was gone in the 60s, she started, uh, in 70s, she started cooking. She put too much butter in everything, too much of this, too much of that. And uh, her cooking skills fell apart. It was a, it was a, a big, a big. Under conditions of abundance. It was she too abundant. They, she couldn't de- deal with the, yeah. the, the 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 lack of limitation there, and so 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 that's that's what uh, that was. The cigarettes. I don't know. I grew up. Uh, you know, I'm not that old, so I I, I didn't grow up right after the war. Uh, I I I smoked my first uh, cigarette around 1970, and um, uh, and and then I. Uh, let me see. I went to a boarding school uh, um, when I was 10 years old, and the boarding school was right on the Dutch border. It was actually part of the school was, the campus was on, uh, in, in, the, in Holland. And this was the, a time when uh, cigarettes were much, much cheaper in Holland than in Germany. And we had a special uh, route to Holland uh, uh, around the, uh, uh, the uh, around the, uh, the checkpoint, checkpoint yeah. yes, yes, and we we carried, of course, not only cigarettes, we also carried a lot of uh, hush, and uh, and also supplied some other people who weren't involved in the school. They would come. We became dealers, essentially, and smugglers, uh, smart yeah. smugglers, yeah. smugglers and dealers. We just had to go across the tennis courts, and uh, <laughs> and we were right Holland. there. We were in Holland, and and. Uh, and we smoked these uh, super strong Dutch uh, tobacco, Vanille Sva. Vanille which, um, Sva, which you, I still... Wow. The, it, was a, it was illegal in Germany at the time. They were so strong. They were illegal. But you had Schwarzerklaus. Black. Uh, didn't you? I did. I did. Wait. Oh, did you bring some I forgot. I, I brought you something. Oh. Here it is. Oh, thank you very you're much. Most, <laughs> you're most that's a Black Cross. Thank you so much, Greg. Yes, you're welcome. But that's been around forever in Germany. It's been around for a long time, yeah. That's as strong as Vanessa. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's as strong, but uh, uh, I don't know. We, so we had this sort of Dutch orientation. Uh, and, uh, and then it sort of... Um, uh, trans, transited into into sort of a, a late hippie culture, yeah. I would say. So we were rolling our own cigarettes, and they were very thin, just like you, 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 you said. Um, Whippets. Uh, Whippet thing, yeah, thin, yeah. you know. And, and we didn't do that uh, because we wanted to save the, uh, tobacco. We just thought it was really cool to have these very thin cigarettes. And we, we also were very thin. <laughs> Everything was thin, and, and which, which, which was, which is, I think, probably a reaction to the sausage generation, and uh, uh, and so, and then we started to mix in this hashish uh, uh, into into the tobacco, and uh, and and that was also sort of a a, a transition. We transitioned into uh, strong, yeah. stronger stuff, and uh, really, really enjoyed feeling. Miserable. I suppose what I, what I was more driving at was that, you know, Richard Dole's pioneering report on uh, the epidemiological link between lung cancer and cigarette smoking was published in Britain in, I think, 1957. I could be wrong about that. 
And I, I once asked a friend of mine, actually the, the old gangster John McVicker, who was super fit, he's still with us, though. he's disappeared from view, he went to live in Bulgaria, but not because of the fags over there, though that is a big fag smuggling culture. Anyway, he'd be, I once said to him, John, this would be 20 years ago, I said, did you ever smoke? He said, oh yeah, I used to smoke a lot. I said, when did you give up? He said, 1958. After I read Richard Dole's report, I gave up the next day. I thought, that's what you get if you're a serious criminal. You just make a decision. You just act. You're like an existentialist. It's like Jean-Paul Belmondo, if he read Richard Dole's report. You go, like that. Over. Move forward. Do the job. Give up smoking. And, I, and when I was growing up in the 60s, yeah, my first cigarette was a bone-dry senior service taken mm -hmm. from my grandparents' silver presentation cigarette box. I would have been about 10 or 11. And it was there was an indulgent attitude towards it mm -hmm. from the adults. It, I mean, we did mm -hmm. sneak around a bit, but basically they knew. And there was a sense of a huge smoking culture. Because still at that point, say around 1970, probably between 60 and 70% of the British adult population smoked. Yeah. At the same time as this nascent awareness that it was killing everybody stone dead. Mm -hmm. So this kind of weird, you know, really kind of essentially schizoid attitude mm -hmm. towards tobacco was one that I grew up with. It yeah. wasn't, it was never, you know, apropos of which, you know, we were, I was told my wife introduced me to the, the vapor, vaping. And there's been all this thing about is vaping bad for you, is it not bad for you? And I think my wife made the made the exactly the right point. She said, it's not a question of whether it's good or bad for you. The great delight of vaping is we don't know. So we're like our parents now when they were smoking. And I think that's kind of interesting. And it, it's the I never knew that era of, of as it were, innocent smoking. Yeah. And and I wonder whether you ever did. I think or... I did, yeah. 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 I think I was totally innocent of it. I mean, I you know, I was in this I was completely isolated in this mm boarding school and 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 there were there were two uh, sort of uh, uh, danger issues attached with uh, uh, smoking one coming from my father who was a fire expert and and it was all about it was all about you can't drop a cigarette you, you know how the house is going to burn down and, and you had these fire extinguishers in every room in every room there were fire <laughs> extinguishers and and it and it, it was it was crazy so uh, so it was all about that uh, from for, from my father's side and from the school's side, it was uh, is a, it was a sin. Yeah, it was a religious sin. So uh, it, there were certain things you were not supposed to do. One of them was smoking, and uh, uh, and the the health issue didn't it didn't didn't even occur to me. I mean, I and when I was sixteen, seventeen, I didn't care whether you know. I thought I would be old when I'm thirty five and I would die. And it doesn't so matter. So, so so what? You know, one more year, ten more years. It doesn't matter. I just smoked. And, and uh, was so there any consistent public health campaigning at that point? You know, because again, I was very conscious because I'm such a nicotine head mm. from the get go mm. of the banning of cigarette advertising on British TV, but the persistence of cigar advertising. Mm. You know, the Hamlet adverts going on for another ten years. The removal then of of tobacco advertising. I remember going to the West Indies and I would have been about 14 or 15. My uncle lived in the West Indies and there was an advert. I'm going to have to give you this in full. I'm sorry. There was an advert on Radio Antilles that went like this. Daddy, 
Why do you smoke State Express 555s? I smoke them, son, because they're the taste of success. <laughs> Daddy, when I grow up, I'm going to smoke State Express 555s. You do that, son. <laughs> Incredibly shocking, yeah. even in the mid-70s. What is this weird yeah. culture? Yeah. Of kind of... But you have so they're no... still, I mean, if you, if you watched... A That's ma- the ma- Surgeon General on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> heard about it. If you've uh, watched Mad Men, uh, you, you, all, uh, you, you know, it starts in this age of innocence and then slowly moves on into, into this, you know, the first sort of health warnings come about and, and so on. Uh, but, uh, well, Don Draper's big thing is to, is to put, take the full-page ad in the New York Times about the dangers of smoking. Do you yeah, remember yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And then it's toasted. It's yeah. toasted, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but none of that occurred to me. But it might, might just have been me. I'm, I'm, I was very innocent of it. Uh, but uh, uh, so, so I can I could concentrate on the on the on the positive aspects and uh, and enjoy those uh, cigarettes that I did smoke. Uh, until then, you know, I, I I I it went so far, you know, that I would own you know my 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 breakfast would consist of you know three cups of German bitter coffee and five cigarettes, and then I, I would go outside and puke. Yeah. And, and then I noticed it was personal experience. It wasn't advertising. It wasn't somebody somebody else telling me this is bad for you. I just felt. I just noticed this is really bad. You were for like me. ill. I was. Yeah. I was ill, physically ill. Yes. Uh, so. Uh, so. And you were, you've that, always yes. been quite sporty as well. So you, yes, you must have noticed a lag in in that. Absolutely. I've always uh, had the urge. To be sporty, mm. and then I had these phases of smoking, and I had phases of of, of endurance sport, and uh, I noticed that the two didn't go together so well. I also had uh, some asthma issues uh, as a child, and um, and uh, and all of that. Uh, yeah, I, I put two and two together. So, My but problem. I'm not I'm not a health advocate, and 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 the book is not about uh, you know whether you should smoke or not uh, smoke. I, I really don't care. Uh, what people do, and really, I, uh, it, it's 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 more about um, uh, how we how we you know confront our our own issues. What what we do? How how do we uh, you know when when we when we sit there? All of a sudden, I've made a decision. I say, okay, this is a big part of my has been a big part of my life, and now. It isn't anymore. Uh, what, what happens in that moment? What What are the things that I think about? Uh, what How do I, you know, do, do I do I make a narrative to explain things in a biographical way? Do I uh, draw on research? Do I uh, 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 work through images in my mind? Mm. And there are some pictures in the book mm. uh, that are really sort of. Uh, quirky sort of images because I attach certain certain images to 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 those experiences, and so so it's really uh, 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 like a, like a, a, a tiny moment of thought uh, about this issue that I'm blowing up to 170 pages, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking at every minute detail of every every thought I have about this, and and that's why then the book became. Uh, uh, sort of something between a, a, a memoir and an essay, and uh, a, a sort of a research summary and some pictures and everything. Mm. Because I think there's no one genre mm. to 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 that that you can sort of 
uh, used to, uh, to, to capture that entire moment. Yeah, but I mean, it's very, it's very existential, your involvement yeah. with nicotine and yeah. tobacco. And it's all about, you know, does it actualize yourself and does the renunciation of it determine the creation of a new identity and a new right. sense of personhood? Right. And, you, you do, and though you draw into the text a lot of social and cultural detail, it's not really about that, is right. it? I mean, you just said it. You don't care, yeah. in a way, about public health policy or about... Whereas, right. I, I mean, I have to say that as, as you say, a committed smoker, though I haven't been smoking much recently uh, for obvious reasons, um, that, that I've always been acutely aware of the social context of smoking mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, of nicotine use. It's always struck me. And, and I think that the, the nicotine is very interesting as a drug because it is the only drug our culture has ever used that is a drug of addiction of physical dependency, where it seems to fly in the face of the contemporary thinking on the nature of addiction. So the nature of addiction, if you come up through, uh, you know, the 12-step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, (coughs) Alcoholics Anonymous, the view of addiction is that addiction inheres, not in the substance, but in the individual. You have an addictive personality. Well, if that's the case, then when I began smoking, 70% of the population, adult population of Britain, were drug addicts, yeah. innately, not as a function of it. Now, that can't really be true, mm-hmm. can it? Mm-hmm. You know, nor does nicotine use imply in the moment. You know, you don't, you know, again, an, an AA definition for the nature of alcoholism or addiction is uh, you, you can never know what's going to happen when you take the intoxicant. You know, one day you have a, a sherry with the vicar and then you have another sherry with the vicar and one day you have a sherry with the vicar. <laughs> Twelve hours later, you're lying under Charing Cross Bridge without any trousers on, <laughs> kind of singing old Lang Syne even though it's midsummer. You know, and that doesn't really ob- obtain with nicotine, well, does it? Yeah. So there's something kind of... It seems to be something... And what it suggests to me is if you look more to anthropology for an understanding of the use of intoxicants, you find things like the idea that you, really Leary was onto this with set and setting in relation to LSD and hallucinogens in the 60s. That there's a kind of. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A dramatic relationship with uh, psychoactive drugs in cultures. There's what we think it's doing, you know, what it may be doing in a pure and, as it were, metabolical, physiological sense and what our individual perception is Mm -hmm. of it, and how it's acculturated. All of these factors are in play. 
And the effect is a function of that. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating with nicotine how, and you can see this clearly with nicotine, and and then, then you map it back onto other drugs, how society adapts their use to make them productive in a mm-hmm. way, to mm-hmm. make them work for the, you know, and it seems to me, I'm not, it's not an original observation, the cigarette in particular, both and it, it produced by industrial methods and fueling particularly manufacturing industry. Again, mm-hmm. you know, we, we look upon it as writers, this great kind of, you know, habit and, and drug of writing. But in a way, the 20th century's, Drive for mechanization was was fueled by nicotine addiction mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to deliver that short <laughs> lecture, but I, it does. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, I mean, you. Uh, uh, I don't have the uh, you know the broad comparative view on drugs, uh, mm. uh, so so maybe that's why I I make such a to do about nicotine because I don't I can't compare it to anything else. Well, maybe I'm writing about addiction. Per se, because that's the only addiction that I know. I just want to ask you one more thing before we throw it open. This is not said in any kind of weird way, but many people, when they when you gave up four or five years ago, many people would like want to turn their back on it completely. I mean, I know you mm-hmm. wrote the essay as mm-hmm. you were, you know, giving up as an exercise. Right. But but thereafter, you know, when we've known each other a while now, and, and we often talk about. We, we, do. we often talk about nicotine and smoking. We, we do, yeah, yeah. We're into it. We're still. You're still really engaged by it, and you're yes. you're really yes. a one day at a time man. I mean, I feel that your hand is twitching. Yes. <laughs> we speak. Is that true? Yeah, still? but it, it's a productive tension. It's a productive. Uh, yeah, tension. yeah, definitely. But uh, so. Uh, so you like to maintain that tension? It's almost may, like a magnet. Yeah, maybe, like, maybe, maybe, maybe it's there. I don't know if I need to produce it in, yeah. in uh, to make it, uh, but but uh, but it's okay. But I remember uh, when I was uh, still smoking, and I was, of course, uh, I tried many times to quit, and uh, it, some, you know, sometimes it worked for a few weeks, uh, for a few months, and uh, and so on. And so I, of course. I, I I have a memory of what I felt when I thought about quitting, and I always thought I don't want to become one of those assholes who 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 uh, sort of uh, uh, demonizes the whole thing. I don't want to be the 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 guy who complains about other people smoking and so on. I really don't, and I really uh, think. Uh, uh, it, it's wonderful that there are people who smoke, and I like to smell it every once in a while. And I sometimes I envy the people who uh, who uh, you know stand outside uh, of the bars, and they actually seem to be having a much better time than the people inside. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's uh, and you get you know you've some... got issues, man. <laughs> <laughs> I still I see those people hanging around outside bars, and I think God, that is just. Utterly miserable. Every, there is no. But it, it depends. Sometimes it's miserable. I mean, it's like February in New York. It's miserable. But uh, but there's so many people. I mean, in in Germany, they the bars have put out these heat lamps, and people gather around, and they get to know each other immediately because they ask for for light and and so on, and and it's nice. Uh, and and I, I sometimes I wish I were a part of that. Yeah, they are fascinating. Those kind of uh, bodged up pseudo rooms for smoking <laughs> yeah, with a kind yeah. of space eater in them. Yeah, yeah. It's like a kind of 
provisional architecture that reflects yeah. the provisionality of the cigarette itself. It's kind of a pop-up <laughs> world. Of, yeah. I, I first saw yeah. them in Dublin when they'd introduced the band there, and I thought, this is... I even created a word for, for them, fumatope, in German, fumotope. Uh, 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 from Smoke place. Fum, fumare and yeah. topos, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fum, fumatope. Well done. Thank you, thank you. I, look I don't know if it translates well, but... Opening uh, a dictionary and seeing that with yeah, your etymology. Yeah, one of these days. Okay, well, listen, should we, should we throw things open? Anybody have any comments, questions, anything they'd like to say? There's a microphone. Gentleman in the front row here who looks like he's had a pipe or two. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody here heard of a guy called Paul Sadler? Paul Sadley. Sadler. S-A-D-L-E-O. Nobody? No. He's a sort of Alex... Is it Alex Campbell, the spin doctor? Oh, Alistair Campbell. Alistair Campbell. He's the spin doctor of the tobacco industry. Oh, so is he with that outfit, Forrest? No, he's on big money with Imperial Tobacco. Oh, he's actually in the pay. Really big, big time. Okay. Go on Google and just put in that name and Imperial Tobacco... Or even if you put in Philip Morris or British American Tobacco. You'll get him. Yeah. And what do you want to tell us about this fellow? Are you this person? Yes, that's me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I knew. Do you want to borrow a fiver? <laughs> anyway, I was listening, the way I got hold of this guy, around about 2000, I was listening to talk sport or talk radio, whatever it was. And it was run by, a, I think he was a New Zealand guy. Six foot three, four. I, I forgot, I can never remember this guy's name. But Paul Sandler came on this show. Never heard of him. And amongst all the things he was saying, they were discussing tobacco and all the aspects of it. It was in the news, cancer and everything else. And he said quite straightforward, well, it's yet to be proved that nicotine is addictive. Okay. Interesting point. Pardon? <laughs> Well, thank you for that. Hi, can you describe your uh, the most intense experiences you've had from nicotine? And do you know if anyone uses it for journeying like you would use ayahuasca or any other kind of drugs? Well, I mean, certainly shaman in, in South America have always used tobacco for exactly that, for out-of-body, to create out-of-body experiences. Um, I think the most, I mean, it's not... Sort of weirdly to answer your question, I gave up smoking in 2000. Uh, it's the only year of my life, the year of no nicotine. Uh, and it was okay. I, could, I wrote, I wrote a novel. I wrote quite a lot of it in Germany, actually, on trains. Uh, and that's when the incident occurred with the guy in the literature mm-hmm. house at the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and one of the reasons I gave up smoking, apart from all the obvious ones, was because I found myself standing in front of Dunhills in, um, what's that road, German Street, at the t- and, and staring at the pipes. And I felt this strange draw towards pipe smoking, and I thought, I can't go there. <laughs> <laughs> That's just unacceptable. I don't know if anybody knows David Shrigley, the artist. He did a little drawing. Actually, it's just an outline of a man with a pipe, and the caption is, all pipe smokers are cunts. <laughs> and I think that was in the back of my mind at that point. And I thought, no, 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 you, won't, you cannot go that route. So I gave up. 
And of course, when I relapsed a year later, I, I picked up the pipe. And I realized that all of these old geezers I'd seen all my life, sort of drowsing by allotment sheds, were monged out of their brains <laughs> on nicotine. Absolutely high as kites. And if you've never smoked a, a properly loaded pipe or squadron leader or one of the really beefy, high nicotine content shags. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that there isn't more of a literature of psychedelic voyaging kind of coming out of people like J.B. Priestley. I mean, he must have kept that kind of stuff to himself. So that was one mega experience. And the other mega nicotine experience is, of course, this. This thing, um, which is the most efficient nicotine delivery system ever devised by a human being. It's just an developed in... in the Pearl River Delta in the Foxconn factories by nameless laborers and technologists in, the, in, in that, you know, kind of Chinese letter fundian. Uh, nobody knows who invented it. It's a computer peripheral. <laughs> and it just gets you hopelessly stoned. And I know that people realize this at an ulterior level because what's the argument against vaping? It's been banned lickety-spick. And there's no reason for it. There's no secondary smoke. It's been banned where? <laughs> London transport, restaurants, yeah. huh. anywhere you start vaping, some little fucking job's worth pops up out of nowhere and says, smoking's not allowed. And you say, I'm not smoking, I'm vaping. It's, it's steam. Smoking's not allowed. It's an electronic cigarette. And, and my reasoning on this is, in fact, the culture has moved on insidiously so much that people who don't smoke and either have given up or never did, when they see the grim revenants standing outside Witherspoons dying, <laughs> they don't mind them smoking because they think, ha, you're dying, you toxin. <laughs> but when they see me looking all spelt with my vaporizer, it's like I'm having a little wank in public. They, can't, they cannot fucking bear the idea I'm getting this little kick and it's not even killing me. That's, it's like this was invented as a kind of litmus test of the ulterior, ulterior Puritanism yeah, yeah. and Calvinism of English culture. And it's alive and kicking. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you said to see you using that doesn't have quite the same aesthetic qualities as, say, Marlon Dietrich or somebody, you know, in a... Well, that's because I'm not Marlene Dietrich, isn't it? It's pretty bloody obvious. I'm a rather kind of ugly man in his mid-50s. I'm not fucking Marlene Dietrich. <laughs> Imagine yourself, irrespective of you know being able to go and buy an electronic 
silhouette or whatever it is. You can't imagine yourself existing in the world without a total social and cultural transformation of yourself. Are you talking about yourself? Yes, I'm definitely talking about myself, but also about the inadequacies of health promotion campaigns, which always concentrate on the physical and the negative sides of smoking, and not on all the positive, fantastic sides of smoking, in terms of how you relax and relate socially to other people, etc. But I'm interested in your image. I mean, and we didn't, I agree, we didn't talk, as it were, about the kind of film noir of smoking, about the filmic aspect and about the idea that whenever you light a cigarette, you're almost automatically placed vis-a-vis -vis with yourself. You're, you know, it's like having a new hat every time. You can clock yourself in the mirror. Oh, there I am with a cigarette. And that maybe is something to do with the quality of smoke itself, to veil, to, you know, as it were, to transform the ineluctable modality of the visible in all of those ways. Why, why cigarette smoking interlinks with film. And also, you're right, the kind of stylization, the angle you hold at, cigarette holders, the kit in that way. You can look at whole fashions as well as cinematographic techniques that clearly evolved in relation to cigarette use. But I'm surprised at you, uh, who are clearly a grown-up, still being enthralled to all of that, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I have tried smoking a lot of times. Hmm? I have tried to give up smoking a lot of times, and I can't even get through one morning. Really? Um, and certainly in social situations, even in the rare periods where I've given up, you know, for maybe a couple of weeks or whatever, there's no way I could survive as my as feeling myself without a cigarette. And I love people who smoke. <laughs> well, that's you know when. Gregor has a bit about, both of us were preoccupied by trying to find the source of this <coughs> famous line, I've given up smoking yeah, yeah, more yeah. than any man alive every time I stub one out, I swear it's my last, which lots of people attribute to Mark Twain, but I thought it was in Ippolos Svevo's Confessions of Zeno. We but, both haven't, we haven't found it in either no. one. Yeah. Uh, but the quote so. that we both like in Svevo, which seems to relate to you, and I can't do it verbatim, is... Uh, perhaps, he says, perhaps the reason I never managed to give up smoking was because my idea was that if I did give up smoking, I would be a better man and would realize all of these kind of moral and perhaps even kind of artistic mm -hmm. attributes that were repressed. So by not giving up, I'm not threatening my, my uh, I'm not admitting to myself that I've just failed to become a good person. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, I, I just think the person who was talking and giving... I thought he would be a much more interesting and better person if he was smoking. Oh, Gregor. Oh, that's you really, that's really harsh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you, you, would, you, you think he should die for his art? <laughs> Anybody else? Um, on the on the vaping, I yeah. think uh, I think we just uh, need to give it some more time. Uh, if, if, yeah. You know, there's no cultural production around yeah. around vaping, and uh, but but you could give it a hundred years, uh, which is about the time that smoking had to become sort of culturally wrought and and, mm. and created, and uh, maybe. Uh, you know, uh, wait for the for Apple to uh, design the first vape vapor, and and then uh, it it will enter the the the, the culture and it, it could iconography uh, that way, 
why not? I, I'm not sure I, I understood what you were just saying. You think, <laughs> so you think I, 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 I should start smoking again to, to become a, a, to become more, I'm not creative enough, huh? Yeah. Okay. No, I prefer to be, I, I prefer to be this boring old self uh, that I'm now, and uh, you just have to live with it. Anybody else? The gum meister. Hi, Gregor. Nice to see you. Hello. Um, and Will, hello. Um, I was a smoker up to three years ago, uh, and I stopped, but I went straight on to nicotine substitutes. I don't like patches, but I've used Nicorette. I've used Nicassist from, um, from Boots, and also Sainsbury's do a really good four-milligram lozenge as well for <laughs> seven quid a time. Um, I've noticed recently that Nicorettes uh, are now doing a maximum dosage of, uh, of uh, six milligrams. From wow! The, from the, that's what you said last <laughs> time. I mentioned it. I'll buy you some. Uh, but what interests me is um, two or three times since I stopped smoking, and during a period about ten years ago when I stopped smoking but went on the Nicorette, was I, I've had periods of complete abstinence from nicotine, and I go absolutely mad... I go, I've, I've spoken to Will about this yeah, before. I've looked man. for the symptoms on the internet, uh, and uh, they say you get irritable or yeah. you might feel yeah. strange for a day or two. I end up feeling like I'm in a Jimi Hendrix LP. <laughs> uh, I, I really, I start hallucinating almost like I'm on LSD. I start thinking of the possibility, if not actually experiencing, telepathic communication with aliens. Um, it's great for a while. Um, <laughs> I feel this kind of tantric energy flowing around my body from these kind of psychic centres somewhere inside myself. But what, and and uh, I've written very well on, uh, under that condition as well. Uh, some hallucinatory passages from books I've written were written in that state. But what happens is it starts to diminish and close down after... Uh, a few weeks, mm -hmm. uh, the, the experience becomes so intense that I can't operate any longer, um, and I find everything enormously difficult to do. I have no idea what this experience is about. Mm. I feel massively special that I have it, because no-one else talks about <laughs> it. But uh, I wondered if you had any, 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 uh, any view on this, or whether anyone else mm. here has ever had that experience. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean uh, I'm hoping for some powerful identification, Gregor. I mean, you you are quite tripped out I, when you give uh, up. <laughs> uh, it only took a couple of days for me. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I was in I was in a, a very interesting, very excited state uh, for a few days. But I, I remember I I uh, um, uh, abstained from food for a while uh, for for a few days, uh, like uh, fasting, uh, sort of as a medical fasting uh, kind of thing and i i uh i uh, i don't know what happened to me in this in this period it was amazing and uh, uh i had to actually I, during this period i had to direct a dissertation defense and the poor poor <laughs> candidate uh had to live with me uh, i mean i i was i was all over the place uh, uh, so so it was the you know i i i think it's not uh, uh, the particular nicotine withdrawal it's just putting your body through something and your mind through something so radical 
and and it doesn't matter whether you give up uh, smoking or you give give up food for a while. It just uh, it just um, uh, t- turns you upside down, uh, and and uh, it's a very intense experience. Uh, so, a, I mean, I must say, I've always found what I've noticed the most obtrusive feature of nicotine withdrawal is a kind of emotional lability, a sort of sense that you may cry or be enraged or be at any second and very, mm-hmm. very, very mercurial, very changeable, yeah. and really enjoying that and sort of thinking. Yeah. That because I think of the culture we're in where this idea that, you know, if you're in touch with your feelings, you must be like a really healthy person emotionally. So I think when I was withdrawing from nicotine, I'd think, oh, God, finally I'm emotionally healthy. I feel like <laughs> crying over an Andrex commercial and beating the shit out of my children simultaneously. <laughs> How healthy can you get? Uh, anybody identify with, with Nick's experience of feeling like he's in a Jimi Hendrix album? No. You're right. You're, you're special. You're special. We knew it's that. Good news, gentleman yes. there in a, in a very nice white shirt. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't say that I identify with it, but it was certainly a line that was very popular in the, uh, in the 50s with the tobacco industry, that, uh, there was a, that, that stopping smoking was associated with a sort of rage and psychosis. You're not uh, that old, are you? <laughs> actual psychosis. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it was, it was a... Um, the idea was that, uh, well, there are many reasons why you shouldn't stop smoking because it was cool and good for you, but um, the, the idea that uh, that it was, you know, there are particular personality types and that you should, uh, you know, be wary of, of quitting because of, of the, the problems. And, of course, it's interesting because it's come back again and the complications that are, or the, the anxiety about using varenicline as a, as a medication to stop smoking. What, what's the medication? Well, it's, it's, it's medication called varenicline or Champix or Chantix in the US. I've yes. seen people go bonkers on that mm. Champix stuff. But the, the interesting thing, of course, is that the, the, you know, we've been talking about the things that happen when people withdraw from nicotine, um, and you know, including some quite extreme reactions. But, of course, that's also something that happens if you take a medication that causes Man, you to... Man, that's fascinating about that Champix stuff, because it's an SSRI, isn't it? It's a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, like Siroxate or Prozac, which are all bullshit anyway. No, it's not. It's not. Champix isn't. No. Is it? Is an You're a doctor, aren't you? Yeah, I... <laughs> Can you have the microphone back? I want more out of it. <laughs> You don't specialise in respiratory disease. Yeah, no, I, I, I do have a, some interest in emphysema. So I, I've, I've spoken to... Cool, can I consult? Thousands of... You were, yeah. Obviously, thousands of people who stopped smoking and, and heard thousands of people explain why they're not going to stop just yet. So I, I'm particularly grateful for your uh, anecdote about carrying on smoking because my grandfather died in Stalingrad, which is... <laughs> I, I almost laughed out loud when I read that in the Guardian the other week. And that I, I, I don't think anyone's going to top that in the rest of my career. But what's your, uh, what's your overall, uh, can you perhaps, I'm trying to get the group therapy aspect going here, can you perhaps address the woman back there, and what did you think of what she said? Um, you know, because she said that public health campaigns that focus on health issues and negatives don't work, so would you rather, that they, what positives could they concentrate on? I think that there ought to be a realistic assessment of the what about this thing that there was some research and some suggestions recently that nicotine is an antidepressant did, did you buy any of that at all doc uh no 
<laughs> Not at all. So, I, I, I mean, I think the, the, the interesting thing about this is that, is that you're, you're, you're talking about it as your, your experience and there's something to do with your agency and actualization. But yeah. essentially, smoking is something that we do to children. Um, it's something that we inflict on children, and it's something that we should be, all be a little bit ashamed of as a society because we've known for 60 years what smoking does. Right. Generations of children have, have grown up, and there are all kinds of societal reasons why that is, why people in positions of power have refused to, yeah. to act on it. So when, when the, uh, the UK Department of Health first acknowledged that, um, that smoking caused cancer, you know, yeah. their, their response to the Doll Report, the Minister of Health appeared on television smoking. Yeah, but hang on it, a minute, it's, Doc. It's funny, but hang it's... Hang on a minute, Doc. Would you not argue that, that some of the inroads that drugs make to societies are because there's a, there's a maladaption, there's no vertical transmission, which is what you're drawing our attention to, that's a constructive ritual of intoxication? Presumably you like a drink in moderation. So the, the now, idea hang on that... A minute, just answer the question. <laughs> no, no I, I'm going to answer your first question. Um, the idea that, that this is the case, you've sort, of, you've sort of addressed it yourself already. So adults, male smoking rates just after war are about 90%. Yeah. And now they're about 20%. Yeah. So what, what, is, what is the change in creativity or in our ability to relate to one another as human beings? Or, yeah, or clearly the world's gone to, to shit since everybody <laughs> gave up smoking. You've, you've actually drawn the dots of this frightening picture. <laughs> <laughs> No Syrian crisis. Think of all that lovely tobacco in, in Latakia province. That's, you know. There's not enough concentration on that in the whole Middle Eastern crisis. I, I, I think there was a lot going on in the Middle East in 1945 as well. I think we are, of course, most of us who uh, smoke or have smoked are both uh, victims and perpetrators of this generational transmission um, uh, so so I think that's important to keep keep in mind and I don't think shame uh, is 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 really uh, called uh, for uh, called for yeah, take, uh, here. take your, your, your shame save it for your clinic there's been uh, there's been a lot of shame attached to uh, uh, this already and I mean uh, we talk about it and uh, uh, we uh, uh, raise con consciousness and everybody uh, I think by now knows what they're doing also doing to children to other people around and so on and and that's why uh, why things are changing and and that's a good thing and I don't think we need more uh, shame yeah uh, on, sure. on on the on the positive aspects uh, to let me say that too uh, the positive aspects of, of, of smoking uh, I think uh, we've seen plenty of that uh, uh, Hollywood movies are full of full of uh, uh, really satisfying post-coital uh, cigarettes and, and <laughs> whatnot, and that's a great thing. Arguably, there have been no coitus without cigarettes. <laughs> that's right, for, for, for a while. And uh, so I think we've all also seen, uh, seen enough of that. I don't think uh, we need to uh, say, like, oh, we've, you know, it's, 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 it's only bad news, and where's the good news, and, and so on. I think uh, uh, we've talked about uh, smoking, you know, as a culture for a long time, and, and, and it's all out there. And now we can make a decision. And, uh, and everyone has to make their own decision, and you can't go around telling other people what to do. Of course, there are limits. <laughs> now they're thinking in Germany, they're thinking about uh, um, um, 
prohibiting smoking in cars when children are in cars. Well, that's what they're in here. It's, it's, uh, it's, you it's, were probably one of the main architects probably. of this draconian <laughs> legislation. <laughs> <laughs> he was, wasn't he? <laughs> I think it's a great thing. You are I've the shame meister. You probably even designed those posters of the child sort of suffocating in the bag smoke in the car. So we don't need shame for that. It's a, we, we, need informa- we need information. What? But you're talking about people making choices. I don't always crack a window if I was actually smoking a cigar. I don't know this person. <laughs> but I mean, hundreds of thousands of children are breathing in tobacco smoking cars. Yeah. So, so what, are, are they making a choice? It's, it's a, a terrible thing, and I'm glad that uh, this legisla- legislation is, uh, is coming about. But we need to, don't need to shame people to do uh, to to uh, um, uh, uh, get on that side of the issue. I think that, uh, I think that's your point as well, really, at root, isn't it? You don't want to be shamed, and in, in fact, if he spoke to you less in that shamey voice that he's got at the moment, he'd probably give up tomorrow. There's a woman at the back who has something to say. I, I just wanted to say that um, they have actually proved... You have to hold it in the region actually, of your mouth. They have, hello? Like a cigarette. Yeah. They have actually proved that it stops you getting Alzheimer's, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> nope. What was that? I didn't hear. The woman in the back said they proved it doesn't... Stops you getting out, so oh, yeah, the yeah. dog said no. Nope. <laughs> 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 Only because you died something else first. Yes, that's right. But I mean, Doc, you know, when we began smoking, there weren't very many of us, and now there's nearly nine billion of us. I mean, you know. I surrender. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, somebody. Yeah, here. I think this lady has got a very good point in that we shouldn't be shaming people. We all know it's killing us, costing us fortune, all the bad side. So let's focus on what it does do for you and. Um, I'm quite interested in your um, idea, Will, that it has some amazing sort of psychotropic or psychoactive qualities because I never found that. Um, lots of other drugs, I would agree with you, but not nicotine. And there's no language to accommodate this. If you take coke, you're coked up. You take heroin, you're smacked yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. You take acid, you're tripping. You're not really nicotined out, man, are you? And like. Well, if, I- um, well, I just said I was monged out of my head on nicotine. I think that well, you already. said stoned. Oh, did I? Yeah, and you said that these shamans use it in a psychotropic yeah. way. I don't think that's helpful. I also don't think it's accurate. Really? I mean, what? Tell me what marvelous psychoactive, psychotropic experiences you've had purely from nicotine. Well, that's right. I mean, I I think that the psycho. I think well, I think like a lot of uh, um, in forms of intoxication, if you are a philosophically minded person. They enact what phenomenologists call the epoche. They bracket your your entire conscious experience and decouple it from what we might call naive psychological realism. Basically, you stop believing. You start to understand intuitively that the bottle of bad while you're holding is not perceived the same way by everybody in the room. You get the subjectivity of experience. I think that's a key. I think that's what feeds into Gregor's very existentialist view. Of the of the actual psychoactive effects of nicotine, so I I would counter your point and say we've made a strong case for the psychoactive attributes of nicotine this evening. And what do you have to say to that, Doc? <laughs> what about the what about the psychoactive elements? Yeah, I mean, I, I return to the question you refused to answer before. You like a drink? So 
No, you won't restore an answer. <laughs> Well, but it's not a question about nicotine, is it? People are addicted to nicotine, clearly. Such care is experience withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they, the, the, the relief of those withdrawal symptoms is an experience of a, of a pleasure. That's the sort of yeah. Alan Carr stroke Schopenhauer line. You know, Schopenhauer said there is no such thing as pleasure, there's only the relief from pain. You gloomy old dog. I'm not going to consult you. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're taking the argument beyond where I... No, you clearly stated it. That's where I, that thinking comes from. I think acknowledging that, that, that people smoke because they're addicted to nicotine and to relieve cravings and withdrawal symptoms doesn't mean you have to deny the existence of pleasure. Right, but you completely deny the idea that we're asserting that we get any pleasure out of it except the relief of our withdrawal. No, well, not, not necessarily. And there's some interesting <laughs> questions about you know, the economic modelling, you know, what, what value you put on the pleasure of smoking when you're working out. Look, listen, everybody in this room who's ever smoked the first cigarette has their head has spun, they've vomited, they felt incredibly stoned, and then they've done and done it again. But you, but you see, even that isn't, isn't quite correct. It's different for different people. And actually, the things, um, you know, when you're interested in emphysema, you think, well, why do some people get emphysema and some people don't? Well, actually, it's to do with smoking, which we know. But it's actually to do with nicotine receptors. So for some people, the first cigarette is an epiphany, and it's just magnificent. They find it harder to quit. They smoke more, and they, they obviously naturally get, get more problems from smoking. Other people have to learn to smoke the same way that you, know, you have to learn to drink beer, because it's you know, bitter and not very nice to start with. Did you ever learn to drink beer? <laughs> it's not about me. Yes. <laughs> okay. So why can't smoking have a positive form of social acculturation? Because you would agree, even as an emphysema do doctor, that low use of tobacco probably isn't that damaging. Or no, other I, I forms of I, I, I wouldn't agree with that, unfortunately. There isn't a safe exposure to tobacco smoke. Is there a safe exposure to all sorts of things in our environment, though? Well, I mean... Do you want to live in a kind of lead-lined room in the bottom of a major London teaching hospital, attended by a 24-hour crash team? Yes, clearly. People want to live a life which is long enough, which is associated with the ability to get around, to breathe, to do stuff, look after the grandchildren, and not to be dead and disabled 10, 20 years before they would otherwise be. Okay. Um, that's that's the that's the gamble. It's not you know being snuffed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I take your point. I mean, you have won. Let's face it. <laughs> if it was a contest. Well, if you, 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 I mean, again, talking about about winning. I mean, there is a there's a there's a process. So the, the more stuff that countries do around tobacco control, the fewer people smoke. Yeah. So that's um, no surprise, though. Is no, it? but it isn't a surprise. But but when people say we all know that smoking's bad for you, it's actually you know you 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 have to. You know, you have to work at that, and there are campaigns. And I take the point about shaming. I mean, it's not the only approach to it. There are a whole series of different measures. But you, you know, you you have to address this properly and help people. You know, there's no point shaming people that often have to quit. But you say we all know about it. Most people in Pakistan who start smoking are smoking, starting smoking before the age of ten. So what's what's that to do with knowledge? To do with adults? Uh, you know, agency. Before you go. Could I just ask you about vaping? What's your take on that, since you are an actual bona fide lung doctor? Can I add also champix? <laughs> you want to ask him about champix? Could you two then? Vaping and champix. <laughs> okay, um, so in, 
treatments? Like, like all medications, Champix has side effects. I think probably from what we mentioned before, the this issue of tobacco withdrawal, which is difficult and can cause you know, reactions in people sometimes, is somewhat muddled up with, with Champix. Um, but if you, you know, broadly speaking, it seems to be a safe and effective way to quit smoking. Okay. Um, now, uh, what was it? Vaping. vaping. Yeah, so vaping. So the consensus is that vaping is about 5% as bad for you as smoking. Whoopee! <laughs> so, uh, so, so they're, they're public, I think they'll come out with that report. And it's, you know, that is, that's a group of experts in the room having a think about how dangerous it's like to be based on the stuff that comes out of it. Mm. Uh, it could be 1%, it could be 8%. It's, but, you know, ballpark. So for anyone who's smoking, if you switch across to vaping, that's in terms of your likely good health in the future and survival, that's a fantastic improvement. So will you be lobbying London Transport to allow us to vape <laughs> on public transport? Um, I, 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 I won't, because... I, how did I know that that's what you were going to say? It's like I'm psychic. It could be the negative. There, 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 there may well be a few people who, um, who are uh, you know, mean-spirited and just want to deny pleasure. But the, the reason that the, the smoking ban, and so smoking in, in bars and other places works, is because it's, um, it's, it's helping people quit. Yeah. So, so there's, there's the, the very immediate effect, for example, people who work in bars, so very immediately they help improve. So there's, there's occupational health, public health issue. Yeah. But it, it helps encourage people. That's all a no-brainer. You're not answering yeah. the question. We're not talking so about issue, that. The, the, the concern that public health people, broadly speaking, have around vaping is that people will cut down smoking but not quit completely. And even smoking a little bit is extremely bad for you. So uh, not because of the issue, but because of the time. So if you if you um, if there's a situation where people smoke normally and they just continue to vape in situations where they wouldn't otherwise be allowed to smoke, that may discourage them from <laughs> now it's interesting, I, I mean I think this is a this is a this is a question that sort of needs to be answered. Now I I believe that that will be a, that, that allowing people to vape in situations where they would not be allowed to smoke will make people smoke more. Now other people believe that if you can vape in those situations, you'll vape all the time and stop smoking. Now I don't know the answer to that, and it's something actually. I think you've got a point. You've got a point. Um, so it's, it's it, you know, it's, it's a good point. <laughs> Definitely got a point. Um, Okay, cigarettes without filters are worse for you than cigarettes with filters. But all, all cigarettes are broadly speaking is bad for you. The, the natural American script. Bullshit. Bullshit. That's the first order. Um, <laughs> that bastard jogger. Yeah. You would have him put in the chair, wouldn't you, man? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to stop him jogging. No, the, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the additives are things, you know, so, so you're, people who smoke their heads are being messed with, so, they, so the pneumonia added to the mm. cigarettes to make them, to, 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 essentially to make freebase nicotine. Um, so it's Wow, it's just like free basing cocaine. Yeah, so you, That's so, you so cool. A, so you get a much more rapid uh, hit from it. And then, yeah, and then the, the, the cool taste of Marlboro. It's cool because they've added as much ammonia as they can. But of course, you don't want to smoke bleach. So you add as much ammonia as you can. Then I've sniffed enough. What am I going to do next? So, so then you add some menthol, so you soothe. Ah. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's chemistry. It's not Evil bastard. <laughs> <laughs> what about those of us who smoke roll-ups? 
um, and I'm with the guy around the corner. Nick. 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 Addicted to Nicorette. I mean, that is my Yeah, you're addicted to Nicorette, aren't you? Yeah. But I also <laughs> have the odd roll-up, which I regard as being much superior to these dirty, smelly, you know. The doctor's things. telling you, Ruth, he told you quite explicitly <laughs> that you're bullshitting yeah. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I mean, the front probably grown up worse. Is there anything wrong with oh, really? Worse. All right, that's enough of this. All right, stop it, the lot of you. You've started talking amongst yourselves. You can do that anytime. Please yeah. thank Gregor Hens. It's an amazing essay. He'll sign copies. He'll sign copies. Buy it. It's really good. Shut up. Shut up. When were you last at a literary event that was this convivial? <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.